LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Good morning, Steve Allen here with you this Sunday morning. Coming up at six, in conversation, this week I'm joined by TV presenter turned author Fern Britton, who talks about her time working on This Morning, and actor Jason Isaacs, whose TV show Case Histories starts a new series on Sunday this evening. Uh, first, we have my best bits from the week, and this week we heard reports that Michael Lavelle had been assaulted in a pub. I'm a bit sceptical about assaults in pubs. In fact, I'm very sceptical. Ever since years ago, I was standing outside um, a pub called The Limelight. Uh, it's a, a club that was in London, and it was set in a church, and LBC had done a number of programmes from it. And Boy George was going in for something, and some journalists over the road, photographers, said to this girl, listen, go and throw a pint of beer over Boy George, give you 150 quid. And so they, they picked up, she picked up this, this pint of beer, and went and threw it over him, they got a picture in the paper, you know, Boy George attacked outside club, and you think, it's set up. I mean, on this picture on the front of the Sunday Mirror I was looking at yesterday, Michael Lavelle... There's obviously a photographer in the pub waiting for something to happen, or somebody's filming him, because they've got the moment the beer is thrown over him. The person then ran out of the pub. I thought, yeah, because you've just been paid by a newspaper, I should imagine, to do that, so they get a story. In the same way, there was another story, I think it's on the front of one of today's papers, which says that a statue of uh, Ken Barlow, uh, that's Bill Roach, has been defaced in Madame Tussauds, and I thought, Madame Tussauds, well, I, I was in Madame Tussauds earlier the other week, I don't remember seeing him anyway, and they went, in Blackpool, went, oh, that one, oh, that one, I think that's Louis Tussauds in Blackpool, that was the one that had the people totally unrecognisable, then they had to have a revamp, and uh, you knew how bad it was, because people, people were pointing and laughing at, who do you think this is, nobody knew, so I cannot believe that somebody seriously in Blackpool paid money to go into a place to deface a statue, of somebody, you know, because there's no guarantee it would have been in there anyway, so they've now removed it for its own safety. To be honest with you, I mean, I know they have a lot of trouble in Madame Tussauds in London with people wanting to touch Kylie's bottom, because Kylie Minogue is in there, and so you can pay extra and touch her, or you could sit on the E.T. bicycle, or a bicycle that looks like the E.T. one, and have your picture taken with E.T. phone home. Which kids like, mind you, adults like it as well. And also David Beckham. A lot of people like to stand there and put their arms around David Beckham. So Because it's very hands-on, Madame Tussauds. They aren't behind glass. They're just there in, in rooms and you walk around them and you can presumably touch or do whatever. I, th- I think they look a bit freaky. I think they really do look a bit freaky, but I like, I like looking at them. And then, of course, certain things I don't buy into in the newspapers. Uh, I didn't buy into Celeb Magazine, which came in the Sunday morning. Patsy Kensett, a year ago, she says... I wouldn't even wear a swimsuit in front of my friends. And I thought, God save me, please, from celebrities who get paid by, you know, very, very rich companies to endorse something. The very idea that Patsy Kensett was fat is nothing short of laughable, I'm afraid. Nothing short of laughable. So they've got a picture of her looking average in 2003. That's the best they could manage. And you know she's paid by this company to, uh, to talk about it. And quite clear, they don't feel they're getting their money's worth. So they've stuck her on the front of Celeb magazine. It's a pile of old rubbish. It really is. I've told you before, if you want to lose weight and if you want to sort of be healthy, you go to your doctor. The doctor gives you a diet sheet. You don't need to spend money. You don't need to go and buy any exercise machinery or anything like that. If you've got a house, you walk up and down the stairs. Dum, 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 dum. If you work in a building like this one, you don't take the lift, you take the stairs. Bum, 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 bum. And that's exercise. That's called exercise. You don't, or you go dancing. You don't need to waste money buying into special diets. It's a load of old poo, let me tell you. Don't waste your... Patsy Kensett's doing it for money. It's like every time you see a picture of Natalie Cassidy, and God knows we're bored with Natalie Cassidy, here she is again bringing out another fitness DVD. And, um, and so she is again, but she's getting engaged to the man that she's sold this story so many times on. He abused her twice, and she's gone back to him, because apparently he's a different person. Well, we sincerely hope so. We sincerely hope so. But, uh, frankly, I'm, I get so bored with Natalie Cassidy. She's dreary at the best of times. And quite clearly, she's one of these actresses now who the acting work's dried up, so they've got to think, how can I make a living? So they do fitness DVDs. They do the fitness DVD, they go round, they'll stick them on the Graham Norton show and Daybreak and Lorraine. How are you? You're gorgeous. You're wonderful. And, oh, you've lost a lot of weight, haven't you? Yes, how about you taking the DVD, Lorraine? Perhaps you can have a go with it as well. She's done one. Oh, she's done one. Oh, God, dear. I did check with Barbara Windsor yesterday. I said, you're not, you haven't, you're not doing a fitness DVD, are you, Bar? And she went, no. She went out with a friend of hers, and she happened to have gone out without any makeup 
on, and so she was pictured out walking. She said immediately, she said, it looks as like I'm doing a fitness DVD. She said, I'm not. And she's also, that's all it was. She was just, just a walk. She's also not going back to EastEnders. They've had chats and all the rest of it, but she doesn't feel that she needs to do anything at the moment. She's enjoying her newfound freedom. She gets taken up by the uh, the bingo people. We had a lovely lunch yesterday at the Lady Rattlings. It was really nice. The uh, The guest speaker, the lady who was honoured yesterday, was uh, was one of my favourite people on television. In fact, actually, when I saw her there, I was, I was a little bit excited. A little bit excited. And that's Victoria Wood. So I was on top table, you know, you know, <laughs> I mean, where else? And, uh, and so I was with Barbara, and then next to her was a man who used to be part of the GLC, and I, he might have been Alan Crossley, I can't remember, and he was his sir, and then next to his wife was Victoria Wood's friend for the day, who was a dancer, and then Victoria Wood, so I mean, I was, you know, like six feet away from Victoria Wood, and so we nominated her, she, she got her, her award from the lovely Lady Rattlings, who was celebrating 82 years, Shirley Hale, is Queen Rattling, and uh, and she did quite clearly. Victoria Wood had never been for Lady Rattlings before because it can be slightly bizarre, you know. It's a, it's a group of ladies, and they love to kick their heels up and they raise money for charity. And they were doing it for St Mungo's yesterday, and so they decide to nominate a person, and we have a raffle. And it's I mean it's just really lovely. It's a nice lunch with the Royal Garden Hotel, and we I pulled I picked Barbara up uh, in the car. It was, it wasn't exactly the best weather we've had yesterday. In fact, it was wet when we came out. And we go in there, and so we pull up. Of course, she's instantly recognisable. And so she said to the blokes on the door, uh, where should we put the car? He said, just leave it with me. I'll park it for you. So he parked directly opposite the front. Because it's the sort of car you would have opposite the front door of a hotel. Not like I'm driving a Cinquecento or Renault Megane or something like that. And so that was nice. So we go, and we have a really nice time. We bump into Roy Hudd, who has lost a ton of weight absolutely unbelievable. It was really, really good. There were all sorts of lovely people there, including lovely Barry Burnett, who got an award, his lovely mother, who just seems to be ageless. Seems to be totally ageless, Barry Burnett's mum. But all in all, I think we all agreed that it was very nice. I forgot to say how brilliant Claire Balding is. She was rewarded at the BAFTAs last night, says Noreen. I didn't watch, so I can't comment on them, but well done to Claire, who was mentioned on the news. Yes, she mentioned her mum and dad and her partner, Alice, we did the papers on LBC a short while ago. And uh, so we're very happy about that. We like it. However, the papers have decided to print a picture of all the celebrities who turned up. They're only interested in the girlies. They're not interested in the boysies and what they were wearing. So the girlsies, uh, Holly Willoughby, just Holly Willoughby, you know, boobs out the front, hair tied back because really couldn't be bothered to do it, which is a bit of a shame. Jessie Wallace... Always looks a bit frumpy. She can't help it. She's 41. She's got a dumpy little body. And no matter what she wears, she's going to look badly dressed. Uh, Cara Toynton, very glamorous. Nice picture. Sienna Miller, very glamorous. Nice. Helen McCrory, no idea, I'm afraid. Not a clue who you are, love. I'm terribly sorry. But uh, it was very sweet that you bothered to turn up. Louise Redknapp, hello, dear. I mean, I don't know if there's a category for for people who are married to footballers. I don't know what you were doing there. But, uh, again, she's... I don't. You know, when you look at somebody and you think, now, why have you wear? Why are you wearing this mumsy old outfit? A see-through blouse, hair scraped back. You know, a really not a good look. Not a good look, I'm afraid. Uh, Jenna Louise Coleman. I have no idea who you are. I'm ever so, but she was wearing beige, so that sums it up. Olivia Coleman. I don't know who Olivia Coleman is. Either. I'm not very good at identifying any of these people. I don't know who she is. She's wearing a very... She's a, an off-the-shoulder purple satin dress. Simple and style. Peep, I've never seen Peep Show. Never seen Peep Show. Tina Malone. What's she doing there? I'm sorry, it's BAFTA, dear. It's BAFTA. Suran Jones. OK. Claudia Winkleman. She's, she's slightly... Well, I think the word is kooky in the business. Everybody else mad as a broom. Uh, Emily Makeless. I'm sorry, dear, you're a newsreader, OK? Go back inside your studio, read the auto cue. Catherine Tilsley, big faux pas here, poor soul, honestly. It only goes to prove, Catherine, there is such a thing as too much publicity. They've said here, really bad hair and makeup alert. They've given her one. Uh, as in Sarah Millican, who got one as well, but why should she care? Why should she care? Michelle Collins, very brave colour in 
sort of like lemon sorbet, but quite nice, quite nice. They say she somehow just about gets away with it, but poor old Catherine Tilsley. Loads of publicity, love, and they're turning against you. I wonder why that would be. Did you hear that funny little clip of BBC Radio Stoke? And it was the DJ, and and she, she turned up, and she'd had, she sounded... Like she'd had a few beverages. It was her last Friday show. I can't tell you her name, and it's probably the only publicity that poor old BBC Radio Stoke is ever going to get in its life. And, and she went, P-A-R-T-Y? Party. Now, I assumed I'm erring on the side of caution, and I've decided that she's diabetic and she was having one of her going under kind of moments, OK? Because, I mean, I know for the rest of you she sounded tiddly, and if you listen to it on the internet, she sounds tiddly. Uh, how she was never... T- this was one o'clock on a Friday. If I'd come on air and start... I mean, I sort of was questioning, actually, with a friend of mine earlier on about how long it would take before somebody pulled the plug on you. I see Alan. Alan here this morning. And, and people are going, I think he's had a few drinks. But, of course, in my case, I could be actually going under as a, as a diabetic. And it's, it's a case of how did she get to the studio to start with? And she's slowing and she's a time. But... And it's her last... And it's on a Friday lunchtime. It's not Friday early hours of the morning. Friday lunchtime. So anyway, they, they took her off air. Apparently she was slightly emotional. And, uh, and that was it. She was very, very emotional, really. But how she survived it, God alone knows. I, re- I really, really don't know. All very, very interesting. But as I say, it's the only publicity that Radio Stoke are ever going to get. So we thought we'd give them a little mention. And hereafter, they sink into total obscurity. I'm terribly sorry. That's the best thing. Perhaps there's nobody in the station on a Friday. Perhaps it was just her, and that's how she was allowed to get away with it. Or failing that, they had the presence of mind to listen to somebody else. <laughs> Anybody else, I should imagine. Michelle says, Natalie Cassidy turned up on the National Lottery again. Immediately, I thought, fitness DVD. Yes, she is. She is doing another fitness DVD, because uh, there's no acting work in the pipeline or in the foreseeable future. So I suppose the most you could get is a murder she wrote, and perhaps she could be killed quite quickly. Uh, I've just Googled Louis Two Swords Waxworks. You should see the images of Simon Cowell and the Beatles. Are the sculptors blind, Steve? Talk about laughable. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, if Louis Two Swords is as bad as you say, maybe the Bill Roach statue is improved by being defaced, says Phil. It, it used to have such a reputation, nobody was recognisable in it at all. Nobody was recognised, but, but it's Blackpool. Nobody really cares, do they? I remember Hopalong Cassidy, says Brian. Who's Natalie? Yes, the the younger sister of Hopalong Cassidy, Natalie Cassidy. She's everywhere, isn't she? But she, she's going to get married again, so no doubt they'll be milking that. Meanwhile, poor old Kerry Katona's suffering badly. She can't afford to get married again uh, because the magazines have gone, we're not paying for another wedding. You've already done it a couple of times, and I'm afraid that's that's your lot, love. You've had it, so there's no more money forthcoming. And so she goes, well, I want to get married. And you think, well, you probably will get married, but it'll have to be with sort of Love It magazine or something like that, or failing that, I don't know. <clears throat> Can't think who else would be remotely interested. I'm sure somebody would be, but I'm not interested in these girls who just, they're, they're occupational marriage people. They just get married for the, uh, for the filthy lucre at the end of the day, and they have no talent, they have nothing at all, and uh, sadly, there are some people out there, probably listening at the moment, who would be the ones who go, oh, I want to see the wedding picture of Kerry Coke Toner. Why? Can't imagine why you'd want to see that. What would be the, what would be the purpose? The answer is, there is no purpose at all. She's a bit Natalie Cassidy, really, isn't she? We'll have a quick break here, but when we're back, another EastEnder has decided to crack Hollywood. Ha! Good luck with that. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. On Tuesday, something happened which was far too soon, in my opinion. The Hunes are out of prison now, and she's, she's kept diaries. But, you know, they, I mean, I was talking to my dentist the other day, because I had the new teeth in, bless you for asking, thank you so much. And, um, and, and we were saying, the Hunes were sentenced to eight months in prison. They're out after eight weeks. Then why don't they sentence them to eight weeks? What's the point of going, you're going to prison for eight months? No, you're not. You're going to prison for life? Well, you're not really. We're just joking. We're just joking about that. As far as I'm concerned, you know, she's gone into me. She's going she's gonna to write a book. Who in God's name is going to read it? I've got no idea. She's going to write about prison life and how difficult it is for women. Well, you shouldn't be so bent, should you? That's why you went to prison. We don't just send people to prison for a laugh. We're not having a laugh about this. We're treating it seriously. You're an embarrassment to your children. 
you know, a lying person like you goes to prison. But they come out, she goes, oh, she's kept a diary while she's been in prison. Oh, life must be really tough, dear. Really tough inside there. What, they gave you paper and pencil? Oh, blimey. Oh, that was a real tough regime, wasn't it? I don't know how you've coped. How you've made it through the... And she's going to talk about her prison experiences. We don't give her stuff. I'm sorry to be so harsh about it, but we really don't give us stuff. I couldn't care less what your experiences were in prison. You're bent, and that's why you went in there. It's as simple as that. We don't mess around. The judge decided, I just wish it had been eight months. I wish it was some sort of deterrent, because quite clearly they're having a laugh. And then he comes out, old Chris Hune. Who does he have breakfast with? Grace and Perry. What? So he's sitting there with a tranny in, in, a, in a transport calf having breakfast. God knows what people must have thought, because, I mean, you don't really know Grayson Perry. Apparently, he strokes she is an artist, an artiste, and um, feels the need to go dressed up as a woman. I have no idea how it happens. I don't understand the concept, but it goes on all the time. So that was that. Uh, I did miss the programme Skint on Channel 4 last night. Was this one couple who, A, A, didn't work, and they just thought it was okay to accept stuff that wasn't, let's call it, kosher, shall we? And, I, and, and you do worry about people like that. But then you look at, you see them pushing the prams down the ice street. They're wearing the grey tracksuit bottoms and top. They've got Ugg boots and they've generally got sort of a rather, a rather grey, pink-looking G-string showing out the, uh, the back of their jeans with, with, a, with a tattoo over it. And you do, you do worry about the, uh, about the tattoo. Um, I mean, who, I'm trying to think, actually, who on earth would be publishing Mrs Hune's book? And somebody's just told me. Who's publishing it? God, blimey. Who's going to buy it? Who is going to... Who cares? Why would you want to buy some woman's book because she's been in prison? Her experiences. I'd rather hear somebody's experiences of, you know, I'm just about to be hanged. This is what I decided to write down. Oh, so dull. So dull, ladies. You know, it's almost as if people say crime doesn't pay. But, of course, it does pay nowadays. I've been inside for eight weeks. I'm going to write a book. As I say, who's going to buy it? I've got no idea. I, re- I can't think of anybody that I know that would be remotely interested in buying it. The other thing I did, uh, I did laugh at was Charlie Brooks. You know Charlie Brooks, who's in EastEnders? Um, apparently, she plays Janine Butcher, and she, she wants to uh, chase fame in Hollywood. A bit like Vinnie Jones, darling. I mean, perhaps you can ask him for advice on how it is so easy to be so successful because he's an icon, isn't he, in the film world, Vinnie Jones. We were told the other day he's writing his autobiography. I say writing it, it'll be a small piece of paper and it'll have, I played football, I made a couple of really naff films and I went to Hollywood and I played a little bit of football, but I don't really do anything else. I'm not really in the Hollywood industry. Why? Because I can't speak properly. And unfortunately, most of the people in Hollywood who, you know, you think I'm talking like this, all the people who played gangsters were actually terribly well-spoken. Terribly well-spoken. Unfortunately, Vinnie Jones isn't particularly well-spoken. You can barely understand what he says. He's a bit Neanderthal. And now you've got Charlie Brooks. All these people, they chase the dream. I don't have a problem with somebody chasing a dream. I think that's quite a nice idea. But let's be realistic about it. She's quite average in EastEnders. Quite average. It's a character. It's the good writing. It's not the, it's not the acting. Because most of these people you see on the, on the television, when you actually see them out of the soaps, they're exactly the same. They're no different at all. They had part of the cast of Emmerdale the other day on the television. Because on this morning, because Philip Schofield, hardly ever working for ITV, is hosting the Soap Awards. And that's where you can vote. And uh, Holly, Holly Willoughby was on there. And so, obviously, every day, they're going to bring on people from the soaps, and so then they give them a little thing, and you can have 30 seconds to tell us why we should vote for you. Well, nobody ever votes for Emmerdale, even though it's good, and the storylines are good. But you talk to these people, they're exactly the same as the characters on the screen. The only thing that's different is somebody else has written the words that come out of their mouth. They're no, they look the same, they're exactly the same. The only person who was any different was Hilda Ogden. Jean Alexander in Coronation Street. She was complete. Didn't talk like that. I can't do the accent. Don't, don't even bother going there, Stephen. But um, she didn't talk. She was actually quite, quite posh. Whereas, in fact, you know, Charlie Brooks, they've got millions of people like you in the States, dear. You can't offer them anything interesting. Gone are the days them going, oh, it's an English accent or it's an East End accent. Listen, poor old Cheryl Cole couldn't, couldn't make burgers over there. They wouldn't be interested. They can't understand what she's saying. She has nothing that they've not got in abundance. There are better-looking people, if you're going on the look stakes, parking cars in Hollywood. Everybody's chasing the dream. Everybody wants to be there. You know, it's Hollywood. Come on in. We got the glitter. We got the glamour. But for every 
thousand people that pass through the doors of the studios. Barely one will ever make it. The rest are just a little bit like Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie. They've got to dress up as women to get the parts. And that's why the film was such a success, because it, it shattered the dream of every person who wanted to go to Hollywood. You know, you go along for the auditions, and he stands there and they go, next, uh, oh, not quite... We're looking for somebody a bit taller. I can be taller. I can put put lifts in. They said, we're looking for somebody a bit fatter. I can be fatter. We're looking for somebody a bit balder. I can shave my head. We're looking for somebody else. And that's Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. It's a bit like working in radio in this day and age. I want to work on the radio. Can you do it? No, but I've, I've heard Steve Allen's show, and I think I could probably do it. Anyway, so I flip on the television this morning, and there they are. I thought I was watching a remedial programme. I had no idea. The language was disgusting. Mind you, the host's language at times was a little bit disgusting. They were quite clearly delusional people. It was The Apprentice. Yes, bring out your dead. Here they come. It's another bunch of people who, frankly, you know, are talking out the box. And Alan Sugar said this time round, he said, I'm sick to death of people saying, you know, I think out the box, I do this, you know. My only way is is forward. They're just liars. Just liars. You've never seen people who are so dumb, it makes you wonder how they manage to get dressed. It's no good putting them in expensive clothes, because it just makes them look even more stupid. They're putting them in an expensive house. Not one of them will ever be living in a house like that, let me tell you. It's in Hoban. It's very, in fact, it was beautiful. I did look at this house thinking, wow, that is one hell of a house. I wouldn't like to imagine the price tag, but presumably it'll be up for sale afterwards. Anyway. So you watch these people, and they give them a task. You know, selling toilet rolls, selling bottled water, selling um, those lucky cats, which you see in all the Chinese restaurants with the waving arm. And they had a load of those. They had some naff leather jackets and some reflective things and some cat litter. The girls were so dumb, so dumb, that they didn't think where you could sell cat litter to. So they tried a couple of pet shops, but of course they're not remotely interested. The boys... Marginally less stupid than the girls, but only marginally, I have to tell you. There's some very peculiar people. They're all quite clearly up their own rear ends, and they don't quite understand anything about life. They know nothing about selling. They don't know anything at all. But luckily, they did remember that Battersea Cat and Dog's Home, you know, would be using cat litter. So they they bought some of that, because it was good publicity for Battersea Cat and Dog's Home. And then the girls decided to go to Chinatown to sell them these these lucky cats. Well, Chinatown is awash with lucky cats. You can't move it. They're not going to buy them off a few people. Anyway, they did, but at the right price, because they're only plastic. And they buy these things for next to nothing in China and bring them back over. So they don't want to buy anything from some NAF TV programme. The water they managed to sell, and uh, they got right royally ripped off over that. They just weren't intelligent, but they sit there. The language from some of, some of the women. I mean, the woman who was actually kicked out was as thick as a brick. Again, oh, I'm a leader. No, you're not, love. You were just dumb. And the other ones are no better. They're rude. They're offensive. The men are so peculiar. I mean, I'd have them all sectioned. They're not with it at all. Even Alan Sugar is, is telling them the same thing. You know, they're people who have got overinflated egos. They've got no talent for doing anything. You know, selling toilet rolls was a little bit difficult for some of them. You'd imagine that. And then they came up with the most dreadful... I mean, the language was just appalling. Just appalling on the programme. And you look at them and you think, why is it all the people on The Apprentice, without exception, are delusional? Is it because their mummies and daddies at one point said to them, oh, you're really good? When they were, they were sitting... They argue among themselves because they're so stupid... This is, and presumably, if they weren't on television, the language would be even choicer than it was. And I sat there watching them thinking, you wouldn't last five minutes in the real world. And they put up, so-and-so's an entrepreneur. So-and-so lives in Monaco. I thought, yeah, in a squat. You know, because if you were successful, why would you want to go on this programme, apart from de- being delusional? They're all a bit odd. You know, if, they, if you came across them in a dark alley at night, you'd be calling the police straight away. Because they just haven't got the faintest idea of how to do anything. They don't seem to understand the basics of selling. They all go in there... And they go, hello, my name is Tricia, whatever it is. And you think to yourself, that isn't how it works. You don't wander off the street looking like sort of some model from Primark. Because that's what they do look like. Bad makeup. God, no. I mean, I know we've got high-definition television, but dear God in heaven. Bad makeup. There's a little Welsh boy on there who's got to be as gay as a goose. He can't be anything else. He doesn't seem to know anything. The other blokes argue, some of them, they haven't got any leadership qualities, but they feel that they have to say things which make them feel as though they're leading. You know, I lead by example. People follow me. No, they don't, dear. The only people who follow you are dogs. 
OK? That's the sort of people who follow you. Nobody is following you by example because you quite clearly don't know. And then you've got the most irritating woman. Hiya. She's a doctor. Hiya. And she knows everything about selling. I can't believe it. She's got the most awful voice you've ever heard. And her roots. I mean, I feel like sending her some hair colour because God knows those roots need doing, love. Hi There she is. Hi She's got a worse voice than Christine Bleakley. It's appalling. And she thinks she's the bee's knees. She really rates herself. Then you've got some other poor woman called Zuzu Zaza. I don't know, she's wearing some horse's mane down the back of her head, which they've clipped on. To be honest with you, I seriously thought it was drag. I had no idea it actually was female. She's got too much makeup on. She, they've got no warmth. There's no warmth that comes out from any of these people. And the one thing you've got to have, if you're a salesperson, you've got to be lovely and cuddly, like our sales team here. They're all lovely and cuddly. I haven't cuddled any of them personally. I don't want that to sort of end up, you know, as like Operation What's It, out parking their van out the back of this building. I don't know that kind of malarkey going on. But I'm just saying, you've got that's, that's why people are successful. That's why these people quite clearly are not, but they think they are. I mean, they are so delusional. The Apprentice contestants have become one of my biggest pet hates at the moment. I really can't stand them. Don't forget, in half an hour, you'll hear from TV presenter Fern Britton and actor Jason Isaacs as they join me for In Conversation. But now, the latest news at 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Good morning. You're listening to the best of Steve Allen this Sunday morning. Coming up in half an hour, I'm in conversation with TV presenter and author Fern Britton, who talks about her new book, The Holiday Home, and actor Jason Isaacs, who talks about working on the Harry Potter films. But for now, let's carry on with my best bits from the week. And this week, we had some terrible news. Very sad news. The Saturday show has been canned in America. Apparently, when it it slumped below one, they decided it was easy to put it out of its misery and not bring it back. Uh, they were hoping to secure a second series, but as I told you before, who is remotely interested in a, in a girl group that haven't, you know, really done anything for ages and ages, two of them up the duff, and, and you think that this doesn't make a television programme. And so the audience piddled down to 100,000, although a spokesman for them said that uh, they are in talks of a Christmas special. Yes, I, I think they'll be handing out leaflets. I can't see them actually recording anything. It doesn't. I mean, it, the little bits that I saw on the telly didn't do it. The Americans have tons of people like this. They don't want cutesy, cutesy apple pie. They want fighting, slap you in the face kind of stuff. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for something a bit more, a bit more serious. And unfortunately, the Saturdays, as I predicted before, were never going to make it in America. I think they thought. And, you know, and I've seen people fail in this department before. You go to America, you make a series, you come back here, and, and then you just wait for the series to take off and make you huge international stars. Well, they're not even huge international stars here, I'm afraid. So, consequently, they're not going to make it in America. You need to live in America. That's the whole idea. You need to live in America. And if you live there for a couple of years, then you can make some sort of name for yourself. But as all their roots are here, they're just trying to capitalise on a market, and presumably the programme was cheap to make, but they didn't do anything. You know, if you're going to go and make a series in America, for God's sake, at least pull the plugs out. At least try and do something. You know, just sort of hanging around being girly-girly, doing makeup is of no interest to the Americans. They've been doing television, and good television that sells around the world for donkey's years. So uh, I'm afraid not happening, girls, but never mind. At least she made an effort. What to do now? Come blimey. Bit like Cheryl Cole, isn't it? She wanders around a bit of a dolly daydream. Not really a lot going on. She's pictured in the paper today going to Cannes because she's paid by, by L'Oreal. You know, because you're worth it, she says in that butch kind of voice, wearing somebody else's hair, somebody else's fake lashes. I mean, the whole thing is just fake from start to finish. But she'll pitch up there and, uh, and they'll hawk her up. But for God's sake, don't let her talk. It's that northern accent that kills its stone dead, doesn't it, way, eh? You know, they're just not into those kind of things, the Americans. They find it very difficult. You know, they look at it and they go, lovely, what's she saying? They don't know what she's saying. Mind you, the worst story I read about America was in one of the papers today. And that's of people who go to Disneyland are apparently cheating the system. To get to the front of a ride, you need to be disabled or pay extra. So there's an agency that supplies disabled wheelchairs, these motorised things, so you can pretend you're disabled. So you get to the front of the queue. Well, apparently it's been going on for ages. I'm not at all surprised. I'm always very, very doubtful of people who sort of pitch up in motorised wheelchairs half the time. You know, some of them very, very sceptical. You, you do see them sitting on their wheelchairs, you know, these little motorised scoot things, outside hospitals, puffing on a fag. You know, a bottle of whiskey in one hand, cigarette in the other, and you think to yourself, how ill are you? 
I don't know. Still to come, we've got the uh, the Soap Awards, which is going to be lovely, and uh, we'll have the Eurovision Song Contest this Saturday. Britain's got no talent whatsoever. Made in Chelsea. Oh, there's some catfighting going on there. And Peter Andre, his dreary little life. But the good news is he's flying out to Spain because Pete's making his calendar again. That'll be an opportunity for his manager to get his shirt off. She loves that bit. She loves that bit. Oh, God, get your shirt off, Pete. Get your shirt off. Go on. Fuel my fantasies. And uh, Pete, at the age of 40, he'll still be doing it at 70, I should imagine, a bit like Cliff Richard, will be taking his shirt off for his calendar, doing the uh, doing the sort of the little naff poses. It's a bit girly, isn't it? I don't know who buys these things. I'm sure somebody does. Uh, Rod Stewart's trick, apparently, for uh, for seducing his wife is hire a nanny, pour champagne and head to the beach house. That is Rod's recipe. Of course, being filthy rich helps, doesn't it? You know, what was it about the multi-millionaire famous Rod Stewart that first attracted you, Penny? It was the fact that he was a famous multi-millionaire with a huge entourage and he's got champagne and a big house and uh, and he's good fun and he, he paints his toenails black. We know this because we've been in pubs with Rod and he does paint them black because he's a showbiz person. Oh, Poundland are in a bit of trouble. They're dropping the price to 97p, apparently, in a lot of them. We've already got 99p stores, so now 97p. This is at East Ham in London, and uh, in the West Midlands, Dudley and Chelmsley Woods. They've reduced the prices there in retaliation for somebody opening up a 99p shop. It's a bit sad, isn't it, really? 99p shop, and now they've got um, all these other, you know, the, the, so 99p, 90, why don't they bring out a 50p shop? I'd like a 50p shop, I could cope with that. 50 pence. Penny? Like going back to the early days of the Woolworths, isn't it? The, the Penny Arcade. It'll never happen. Well, I hope not in my lifetime. The cold woke me up, says Dee Dee. I've had to put the heating on. It's a joke. I know. I know. Well, I didn't put the heating on. I did sit there. All I could hear was this whoosh, the wind outside. So if you're just waking up and uh, and you can hear that, you probably think, oh, my God, fathers, what's it like outside? The answer is it's blooming cold. It really is. Uh, Talking of cold, it's cold over there in America. Cold for... For people who've been in EastEnders who think that because they've been in EastEnders and they get loads of coverage in the newspapers here, because the papers will print any old tripe, uh, it's going to be over there and they're going to be big celebrities. And of course they're not. The latest one was yesterday, Charlie Brooks, who's going to go over to America and she thinks that she's going to, uh, she's going to be a big star. And I said, she's not. I'm not. Without putting too fine a point on it, they've got loads of people like her. They don't need another Brit you know, dragging themselves round, I'm afraid. They just don't need that kind of thing. They've got tons of their own people to find work for. So they then had a look at all the people who went over there to try and make it big for EastEnders. One was James Alexandru. He played Martin Fowler. He just, There was talk he was going to do Equus, and then that fell through. He has had some theatre roles. So he quit the show, I think, in 2007. He was going to go into Bond, and he was going to do that. And nothing ever materialised, which is a shame, really, because I like James Alexandru. I always think, you know, if, if you quit a soap like EastEnders, you're on a hiding to nothing. You really are. Sid Owen, you know, his biggest role since leaving EastEnders was a disastrous turn on Strictly Come Dancing. Little short bloke he is. And, and he's, he's gone over to America. He's living with Adele, apparently, over there while he has meetings. Well, you might as well have meetings with McDonald's and Burger King and Kentucky Fried Chicken because it's not going to amount to anything. They've got people like that over there. They don't need... You know, British actors, they've got tons of Brits over there already. Michael Greco, remember Michael Greco? He's still living in America. He was Beppe DiMarco until 2002. And then uh, he, he had plans to do Shakespeare, but ended up doing Aladdin in Dorset. Not quite as exciting. Uh, but he hasn't given up hope. He has done some UK reality shows. Oh, well, there you go, that's OK then, isn't it? Lacey Turner. She's had some British dramas, but again, it's not been as big. Jack Ryder, of course, was the classic example. He was in uh, uh, Murder Investigation Team. He's been in The Royal Today and uh, and The Archers. But, I mean, and he's, he's a good-looking boy. He's a good-looking boy. But is it enough? Is it enough to actually get yourself a job in this business? I mean, they, you know, the whole acting profession is full of... You should go into radio. It's full of ugly people. There's no competition in the radio world for people good-looking, let me tell you. Tamsin Althwaite. Um, she's currently starring in New Tricks. But again, didn't, didn't work in, in America. Michelle Ryan. Uh, she got Bionic Woman. That was axed after one series. She came back. She's had parts in Doctor Who and Merlin. So, is there life after soap? No. You should read the book. Hilary Kingsley wrote one. I think, uh, saying, is there life after soap? And it proved that on so many occasions, there wasn't. 
There wasn't any life after soap. It was very difficult. The soap world is, is very absorbing. You know, you get loads of coverage in the papers because, as I've said to people who've been in, in EastEnders before, you are protected by, say, EastEnders. They have a press office. They put out stories. You know, and then they say, oh, listen, some newspapers approached us. They want to put you in this and that. And they go, yeah, great. The moment they leave there, they're out in the cold world. Nobody's going to write about them. And that's what's so tragic, isn't it? The only time they write about them now is if they've done something wrong and they make the papers. Uh, Jane Moore is talking about Chris Hune's ex-wife, Vicky Price, who's emerged from her blink-and-you-missed-it prison sentence to reveal she's writing a book. However, sources say that under new laws, any proceeds that might stem from an offender's criminal past could be seized, as the tome is to be called Prisonomics and will reportedly focus on the financing of our jail system. I don't think it'll be troubled by any profit. I absolutely agree. I mean, who's, who is remotely interested in reading anything that this crook is going to be publishing? And crook is what she is, just that she didn't spend too much time in prison, which is rather, uh, rather a shame. Uh, Jane also says, that was quite funny, she says, Aid Edmondson touring the Dales, Billy Connolly pootling around Scotland, Caroline Quentin in Cornwall, Rory Bremner's Great British Views, Robbie Coltrane on the B-Roads and Martin Clunes in his tour of the islands. And now Fiona Bruce's Britain. Can there still be a single corner of this beautiful isle that remains unsullied by celebrity endorsement? <laughs> I would regret Fiona Bruce's Britain, the woman who died on her spectacular bum when she was interviewing Prince Philip and tried the old flirting thing with him and he wasn't buying it at all. And she died in front of us all on television. Oh, it was absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. But uh, they all do it, don't they? I quite like it. I quite like it. I end up buying the DVDs. I like people going around this country of ours and showing us all the things. I prefer the historical fact ones where they show us the treasures of Britain or uncovered Britain or something like that. Not just somebody pootling around in a camper van cooking food and having a picture taken on a cheap NAF camera. That, that doesn't kind of do it for me. Much as though I adore Aid Edmondson. It's not, you know, that, that, that programme didn't do it. I like Rory Bremner's views because I've always thought a good view sells it. You know, and I think that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I did watch last night, I'm afraid, well, this morning, The Apprentice, part two. And even Lord Sugar has admitted that this bunch of people are particularly stupid. I mean, they, there is no two ways about it. They haven't got the faintest idea about anything. The women are foul-mouthed. I mean, really foul mouth, using language that I do not expect to come out of a lady's mouth. But there again, as they aren't ladies, they appear to be the people who failed the auditions for um, Celebrity Big Brother or even just Big Brother because they haven't got a clue about anything. They are so dim. It's unbelievable. And they argue amongst themselves. They, they shout. They scream. They do everything. The boys aren't much better. It's difficult to try to pick out who the heterosexuals are in the boys' side. You know, at the moment, I'm, I'm odds on there are three, three gay boys in there, including somebody with strange eyebrows who looks like he's wearing makeup. The bloke we kicked out last night who appeared to have coloured contact lenses in, and somebody who's pretending to be very butch, but there's something the matter with all of them. And the, and the thing is, they're all needy. And that's exactly what Alan Sugar said this morning on my television. He said, I cannot believe that you don't know the basics of selling. They didn't know the basics of selling. And the reason is, they're all frauds. Fr- they don't have business. They talk about their businesses and all the rest. They are so dim, they'd be hard pushed crossing the road by themselves. You know, you look at some of them and they just don't know what they're doing. They are. I mean, I thought this programme was for people who were successful but wanted to go that little bit further. So far, they all come across as liars, cheats, foul-mouthed, no talented old has-beens. And this is only week two. Alan Sugar said, I can't believe that were at this low level on week two. He said, what are you going to be like on week six? And they all say the same thing. Don't worry, I'm a team player. Nobody's a team player. They all hate each other. You know why? Because they're all so desperate to be famous. They're all so desperate to make something of themselves, but they don't have the talent, the, uh, the, 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 the push, the get up and go. They don't have anything like that. They're just, as I say, failed rejects from the Jeremy Kyle show who just want to get on television. They've only got to knock a few teeth out and they are there. They are contestants on the Jeremy Kyle show. Apart from that, it's all, it's all a bit sad and tragic that you look at them and they're mutton dressed as mutton. It's no good putting somebody in a, in a nice bit of smart clothing when you can see they're not used to wearing it. The women are all in high heels. This lot look as though they'd be happy in dirty old, you know, tracksuit bottoms, grey and Ugg boots. That's what they look like. They look a bit trampy. 
I'm afraid. It's just, it's just not, it's, it's not a good look. And they're bluffing it. They're bluffing it. Sorry to rant about The Apprentice again, but as I said, they're my biggest pet hate at the moment. Let's take a quick break. When we're back, I'll tell you about the man who's built a giant train set in his attic, just to be told to take it all down. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. This week, one of my favourite bands are hitting the road again. The Seekers are doing another tour. And and I said, but they've, they've already done a farewell tour. I know, because I watched only the other day the Seekers, and I think they were in Melbourne doing all the... It was wonderful, actually. I found myself singing along to Morningtown Ride and the carnival is over and Georgie Girl and everything else. And so they've now announced new dates for another tour over here. And I thought, well, that's good. And I've just opened up the papers to discover that um, Judith Durham, the lead singer, is in hospital. She suffered breeding... Sorry, breeding... Bleeding on the brain. She's 69. Good grief. And uh, she told the backstage crew she felt something was wrong when she returned to a hotel after the opening night in Melbourne. And um, they've they've postponed the dates because of this uh, cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, dear. I hope she's going to be all right. Because, I mean, let's face it, you can't really have the Seekers without Judith Durham. She She is the voice. She is the voice of the Seekers. Which uh, which is lovely. What else was I watching the other day on the time? I was watching something else. Oh, I was watching the Monkeys doing a concert. And all I kept being reminded of was the fact that we talked to Peter Talk, and he's in the LBC archives. And Mickey Dolenz, we tried to get in, but he was his schedule didn't kind of fit in with ours, which was a bit of a pain, really, because he sang on so many of the hits. And Davy Jones, who was the cute one that everybody liked, of course, he's now dead. He died. I'd have thought he'd have gone forever, strangely enough. I don't know why. I just, you sort of, I don't know. I was sort of watching it. Very nostalgic. Very, very nostalgic to listen to the the hits again. It it was good. It was really, really good, actually. So I'm I'm obviously going through one of my, one of my regression type things where I sort of think, oh, yes, I like this. I like that. And I'm very happy with this. But I like listening to the old hits. And I probably would have bought a ticket for the Seekers. I probably would. Uh, On the subject of debts. Do you remember Gary was swimming in a lake yesterday? Oh, dear, I was talking about this to... to and they, they were saying exactly the same. I went, oh, no, not swimming in a lake. It's different to swimming in a pool, which is clean, but this is a lake where... I'm always reminded of the film Friday the 13th, where at the very end of the film, we're all sitting in the cinema, and I'm, I don't know why I go to see those. I mean, I don't, I don't do it anymore because I don't like frightening myself. But I went to see Friday the 13th, and I think at the very end of it, th- th- this is where all these um, kids go off to... Lake Placid or something. Placid is the last thing it is. And uh, there's a murderer at loose. And the, one of the kids has managed to get away. So many people have been murdered on the, this sort of idyllic site that they made so many films there. Obviously, the kids weren't learning from the first time round. Don't go to this place because you might die. And so they sort of go there. And at the very end of the film, after our hero, or it could be heroine, has managed to escape the murderer. It's fantastic. And so he's sitting on a little boat, lying on a boat at the end of the film, and it's all peaceful and calm, and then suddenly this thing rises out of the lake behind her in the boat with, a, with an axe in its hand. And at that moment, everybody screams, myself included. So ever since I've seen that film, I don't like lakes. They are dark, satanic places, as far as I'm concerned, so I don't go there. And I was talking to some people yesterday who'd been listening to the programme saying, yeah, the idea of swimming in a lake is a bit, is a bit off-putting. But Gary said, I really enjoyed it. I'd only done 1.5 kilometres. Surprising, it was actually warmer in the lake uh, than it was out of it. It was also a group of new-to-open-water swimmers, and my joke about a giant eel that had been attacking swimmers didn't go down too well. You see, that, that, I mean, that's another reason I would never go in any of these lakes. <laughs> anyway, he says, I'm, I'm off to Twickenham to get my swim technique analysed. I did a two-kilometre swim in the evening. And then this evening, a ten-mile time trial on my bike around Great Missenden. That's quite pretty, Great Missenden, isn't it? I like that, provided the weather holds off. I hope so. I do hope that the weather holds off, because looking at the... Uh, there's Gary in his wetsuit. Oh, that lake looks so uninviting, I'm afraid. There's nothing about that that I could ever, ever excite myself over. I mean, it just looks horrible and dangerous and dark and forbidding and foreboding. Horrible, 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 horrible. I have to hold my hand up 
uh, and admit to the fact that my fantasy, if I was going to have a fantasy, a fantasy house, would have a train set in the loft. A big train set, because I love train sets. And there is a man here um, called Robert. Robert Burdock has been building model train sets for 40 years. He loves them. And he's a father of three. He's got 70 foot of track and 63 locomotives. He's got handcrafted station and depot. It looks wonderful. And he's built it in his loft in Buckfastley in Devon. Buckfastley. But anyway, he's been told to take it down. Now, who would tell him to take it down? I'll tell you who's telling him to take it down. The housing association who owns his house. They say, you take that down straight away. He's obviously boarded over a bit of the loft. And what he's done is he's made alterations to this property. He's breached planning regulations. He's lived in the home for 40... How people found out about it, I've got no idea. But somebody obviously dobbed him in, didn't they? So he's lived in the home for 14 years. He says a housing official arrived to inspect a leaky chimney and told him the train set had to go. You can imagine, can't you? Well, I'm totally sorry, sir, you can't have that here. That's a train set. And that's, uh, you know, great, great, you know, great, great hazard as far as I'm concerned. And so builder Robert... Said, I've been doing this for years and years and years. It's been a lifelong passion. When I moved into the house, I thought, I'll build a railway in the loft. He said, I've, I've spent about eight to ten grand on it. God. These people who live in housing association houses, and he can afford to spend eight to ten grand. What's he doing in a housing association house? Shouldn't he be out there in the real world? I mean, it's like people who live in council houses who smoke and drink and have got really flash cars on the drive. And I'm thinking, how do you qualify for a council house? I thought it was social housing, or has it all changed now? Anyway. He has to take it all down, and um, and that's it. But he's actually challenged the Housing Association to try and evict him rather than take the set apart. Well, if they do, mate, they'll just break it up, won't they? Because I'm sure that they, they probably could. They own the place. And I don't think I don't think you're going to stand up to that one very well, I'm afraid. Uh, going back to Frankie Dottori, who we mentioned just before the, the news. Frankie Dottori, as you know, went in Celebrity Big Brother. And uh, it's not the first time that he was uh, he was wrapped over the knuckles for cocaine. It happened it happened some years ago, and uh, Frankie Dottori was told off for possessing a small amount of cocaine. And so what they've done is he's been interviewed by Claire Baldwin. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I know this is going to sound really ridiculous, and I'm probably going to sound as if I'm from another planet. But why are we interviewing somebody who's taking cocaine? You know, she says to him, and "Don't don't get me wrong, we don't have any problem with Claire Baldwin." I'm just thinking, why did you take cocaine? Who cares? Who cares? It's like asking somebody, you know, why did you look at pornography on the on the, the computer? It's a stupid question. It's a dumb question. He's done cocaine before. He says that he was in a, a bad place. He says that he was in uh, a bad time. His work wasn't going too well and he felt a failure. And, and I'm thinking, what a pathetic excuse. You know, he's got children, he's got a wife, he's been done for this before, not the first time that Frankie Dottori's taking cocaine, and he felt that everything was going wrong. I'm thinking, so it's all going wrong, and yet you can... He must have known a dealer. You see, I'd be more interested, and if I was Claire Balding, I'd be saying, where did you buy it from? Because that's what you've got to do. You've got to stop the dealers who supply this stuff. I couldn't... As far as I'm concerned, Frankie Dottori can take as much cocaine as he wants. I'm not remotely interested in the reason why he takes it. There's thousands of people. There could be people listening at the moment who are getting up, going to work, who will be doing a line of cocaine before they go to work in the city or wherever. I don't care. That's their business. You know, you want to do that? That's your problem. It's, it's got nothing to do with me at all. I don't care. I don't think because it's somebody who's well-known, it makes the slightest difference as to why they've taken cocaine. Where did you get it from? That's what I'd be asking the question. Where did this come from? Did you know somebody who supplied you? Did you ask a friend? Which friend? And then you go to that friend who said, because eventually you find the dealer. Because you don't just walk out, you know, and stand on the street and go, anybody got any cocaine uh, for sale today? Frankie Dottori here. Got any any cocaine? No. You go to a dealer or you ask a friend, somebody who knows where to buy it. Somebody would always know where to buy it. You could probably ask police officers, I should imagine, at Charing Cross down the road and say, in and around London here, where would you, where would you advise me to go if I wanted to buy some drugs? And they'd probably go, well, that pub over there is always known to have a couple of dealers in there. Because I'm not interested in, in Frankie Dottori per se. I couldn't care less that, you know, he was feeling in a bad place. I don't think there's ever any excuse for taking drugs. But that's just me. It's only because I don't take drugs. Perhaps if I, I took drugs, I might, be, I might be thinking different about it. And so at the end of the day, when it comes down to cocaine, it's illegal to take cocaine. It's a Class A drug. 
All I want to know from Frankie Dettori is not why you took it. I couldn't care less in your dreary, boring little life that you have to sort of perk yourself up and, and take that. It doesn't make you any taller, does it, if you're a jockey? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't enhance you. It just means that your kids are going to be pointed out at school and go, your daddy takes drugs, which isn't such a good thing, is it? Not a good thing when you involve the kids. And so, th- but then it makes a hero out of him. You put him on the television. He's on the news. He's on the news. He's a famous person. Why? Not not because he's done brilliant racing or something like that, because he's taking cocaine. It sends out the wrong message. Actually, one of the uh, the blokes on The Apprentice, and you know how little I feel about the people on The Apprentice, mainly because they're all they're all wannabes. They're just people. They, the, the woman who got fired yesterday, uh, she says all the all the women on there they're so bitchy they just want to be on television. I thought, yeah, like you, dear, like you, and you were kicked out because you're a failure. And they would go, but I'm still great. Anyway, the one who uh, who is featured in the paper today is uh, Zishan Shah, who claims to be uh, a great a great person of his generation. He's a former waiter. I'm not saying that there's any way the matter with somebody being a waiter, but um, he owes a bit of money. He had a county court judgment issued against him in February for £3,093. The money is thought to relate to a fee paid to uh, Zishan's property firm for a foreign deal that collapsed. Prestige accounts also showed a £54,000 loss in the year to April 2012 and debts of 117000 So quite clearly not the clever little person he thinks he is. Ex-waiter Zishan of London said of the 3,093, says Prestige has already paid part of the refund and has agreed terms on payment for the amount remaining. He says his company's net loss was now 16,204. In other words, a failure. No point in having a company, is there, which reports losses. So uh, bad news there. As I say, they've all probably got stories to tell. They're all overinflated. Oh, yeah, I'm great. No, no, your, your company's a failure, mate. Your company's a failure. It's just just not right, is it, I'm afraid? You know, telling lies on the television. Surely your mummy and daddy must have told you about that. I promise I'll hardly talk about The Apprentice next week unless they do something really stupid, which will probably happen, I'm afraid. Well, those were my best bits from the week. I'll be back tomorrow morning live at four, so I look forward to talking to you then. Don't forget you can download all the podcasts from the LBC website. Go to lbc.co.uk. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. Coming up next, I'm in conversation with Fern Britton and Jason Isaacs, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But now, the latest news at six.